This morning, I want you to join me in the book of Galatians. As uh, we take a look at Galatians chapter 2 this morning. I find it interesting so often how, how God works things out. He's kind of an amazing God, in case you didn't know that. If it uh, comes as news to you. When I, got, uh, when I came about, I don't know, a year and a half or, or so ago, first thing I did is I sat down and mapped out our way through the Bible. And uh, chose what books we'd be going through, when, you know, and... and uh, Kind of designed a path so that uh, if you came to all of our church services in hopefully five years, we will have gone through the entire Bible front to back. Every book, every word, every space between the words, all of it. We're going to go through it all. And as I, as I laid that out, you know, there was no other master plan short of praying, Lord, here we go, and then, and then laying it out. And, and I find ourselves so often where we are on Wednesday night going through the Old Testament, uh, applying to Sunday morning, applying to the prophecies we study on Sunday night. It's, it's been an incredible uh, journey as we take a look at, at all that the Lord has for us. But as we look at Galatians chapter 2, Paul's going to deal with a, a concept. That concept is, what is where, where is the place of works in our life? The Bible very clearly teaches, sola fide, it's Latin for faith alone. We are saved by grace through faith. It is not of works, lest anyone would boast. Isn't that what the scriptures declare? We're saved by grace, a work that God does. And often we, we share on that, we share on that concept. If you take grace plus anything, that equals wages. But we also study in the book of James, don't we? In the book of James says faith, what? Faith without works is dead. Where, where's the place? So many churches so concerned with the concept of if, if we don't require something of the people, they'll just maybe provide lip service. They'll give lip service to the Lord, but there will never be that fruit in their life. You see, the fruit of faith is works. That's the fruit of faith. That's what James teaches James teaches us that when we have a right relationship with the Lord in the root of faith, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, from that root springs forth works. Every time. Now, last time I planted something, <laughs> didn't grow so good, but I know as long as the root's alive, there is an opportunity for fruit. But you know fruit's not always instant, right? You know that when we plant something, we don't expect that fruit always, right then. I put the seed in the ground, I'm not going to sit outside waiting for the fruit. It's got to grow. It's got to grow. So church after church would say, well, we don't want just lip service. We don't want people just coming to the grace of Jesus Christ and experiencing forgiveness and understanding all the freedom that that entails and never progressing Never moving forward. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is all about. The danger of, 
of not progressing and the beauty of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ meeting all of our needs but not going forward from that place. And on Wednesday night as we were studying, we came to the time when the children of Israel were called to cross over the Jordan River. But prior to that crossing, two tribes came to, to Moses. Reuben and Gad came to Moses and said, Moses, you know, this is, we, we like it here. We don't want to go there. This is as much of God's plan for our life as we want. And they stopped there. And when the half-tribe of Manasseh saw them stop, they stopped with them. And you had this group of people who, seeing the promises of God, seeing the, the incredible truth of what we can experience in a relationship with Christ, came to a point and said, that's it. This as far as I want to go. I will not cross over. Oh, they went over and they, and they fought for the other tribes, sure. But they themselves never went across. They never brought their children across. They never brought their families across. They never progressed. They chose to stop. And you see, that's the danger within every fellowship. Every fellowship, we ourselves, grace by faith alone. We are not saved by works, but... Please understand the danger of not progressing. Please understand the danger of just staying and saying, I don't want to go that far. Jesus came and said that he would give us life and life more abundantly. The abundant life in Jesus Christ. But sometimes we don't experience the abundant life in Jesus Christ because we've stopped. Maybe we, like Reuben and Gad, have said to the Lord, this is good enough. I'm satisfied here. We get comfortable, right? Comfortable Christianity. We fall into our rituals that we like, you know, and when someone does a ritual that we don't like, that bugs us. Maybe it bugs us enough we don't, we don't want to go to church no more because, because this, this ritual that we held was, was broken. Whatever that is. I mean, we all have them. I have them. You have them. Everybody comes that way. But we want to express and extend that understanding that we have been saved by grace, unmerited, undeserved, unsought after favor. God did it. None of us were born when Jesus died on the cross, right? So we didn't even have the ability to ask him to do it for us. He provided for us. And all we have to do is put our faith and trust in him. But, but listen, James said, if, if you just say, I believe in God, what good is that? The demons believe in God, but they're not saved. James goes on to say that there can be that attitude of of a lip service, providing lip service, Lord, I believe, and, and deceiving ourselves that my relationship is good and then not progressing to a point where you see any fruitfulness in your life. Um, that's a dangerous place to be in. I mean, we don't know anybody's heart. God knows the heart. I don't know about you, but, but I want to know I'm saved before I see Jesus. I want to know that I have sought after everything that God had for me. Because here's what God goes on to say in the book of Numbers about Joshua and Caleb. He says about Joshua and Caleb, they sought after me wholly. Totally. 
They were committed. Remember we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that God was not well pleased with most of the children of Israel. And when you go through the Old Testament scriptures, you discover he names two of them that he was well pleased with. Two out of two millions. Not great. But those two guys, the difference between them and the others, they wholly followed God. He was central in their life. And the other thing is, and I know you and I, maybe we both feel this way. I, I, I get tired of the battles. Every day another battle. I want to know when the battle's over, I can just wake up and then just have a normal day with no battles, no fighting, no issues, just peace and quiet. Uh, that happens in heaven. <laughs> the scriptures declare to us all throughout the Old Testament, when Moses, the day before Moses is supposed to die, God says, hey, you got one more battle, brother. There's always one more battle. There's always one more fight. We've got to get it set in our head that, that we, folks, we are in enemy territory. Until Jesus returns and reclaims the earth, we're in enemy territory. There's no peace here. There's only peace when we get home. Peace when we come to Jesus Christ. So then we, not, we have to have that right mindset. What's that right mindset we're looking for? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. What does it tell us? Let the mind of Christ be in you who being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He didn't make himself number one. He was his primary focus. Jesus' primary focus was to fulfill the will of the Father. The words he gave him to speak, he spoke. The deeds he gave him to do, he did. He laid out for us a path. A path to what? The abundant life. In a life of someone who wholly follows God. So as we look this morning at grace on trial, understand, please, that there's nothing we need to do to add to our salvation. It's already done. But we've got to move forward. We've got to step out of our comfort that says, this is good, I, I fulfilled, I did the punch list, the checklist, you know, this week. Go through my checklist. What do I got? I went to church. Boom, there. My God thing's done. I'm set for the week. Go through the rest of the week till next week. And I'll check that list off again. We get comfortable in that. God wants us to progress, grow, move forward. He wants us to wholly follow after him. Well, here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2. And after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Now, this trip is specifically written about in Acts chapter 15. This trip is grace on trial. This is where the church decided whether or not you were saved any other way than by grace. You see, there were the Judaizers within the church who said that in order to really be saved, you had to be circumcised. Or in order to really be saved, you had to be anything. You put anything in it. Grace plus something equals wages. Not free anymore. It required something. What it requires is true faith. The root of faith growing forth into fruit and providing fruitfulness in our life. So as we look at it, this is what the case is all about. The case is all about what, what do we need to do? We're doers, aren't we? Just tell me what to do. I've had that talk with my wife many times. <clears throat> she's not very happy. Maybe she's, she's irritated, something's going on, and I don't know the right answer. 
You know, she speaks pink, I speak blue, we're not always speaking the same language. And then finally I will say, usually in a, in a, in a fit of I don't know what else to do, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what you want. So that I can just go do it. That's the way we are. We think that that's the that's way to, to solve all those issues. But listen. Hey, we've, we want to try to fix things. We want to try to solve problems. We want to do something. But we cannot do anything to earn salvation. It's already done. What did Jesus say on the cross? It's almost finished. Almost done. As soon as Jackie does this, then he'll be okay. No, he said it is finished. It's done. Te telestai, paid in full. You know, finished. It's done. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 15. We'll go through uh, that council so we can kind of have an idea of what grace on trial was all about. It says in Acts chapter 15 verse 1, Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, that's Bible speak, for they got all riled up. Right? No small dissension means there was a riot. <clears throat> they really had at it. And they disputed with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about the question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all good things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Grace plus works, right? Now, the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter. Now, when we talk about the apostles and elders, here's what we're talking about. The, the, the twelve that walked with Jesus... Paul and Jesus' brother, we're going to see, James, is also there. They're all the, all the top guys within the beginning of the church. All the ones who spent time with Jesus, specifically called by Jesus, by revelation, to gather together. They're all together in one place and they're saying, hey, we need to work this out. We need to, we need to see, we need to, to really understand what is it that makes salvation in a person's life. Is it faith alone? Is it only calling upon the name of Jesus? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, what's it say? Shall be saved. Is that how it is? Or, or, or is there something else? Is there something that needs to be put on? So they're all gathered together in this one place. And, and when there had been much dispute, now listen, all the Pharisees are there too. But they're Pharisees who are believers. Can you think of a Pharisee who's a believer? I can, a couple of them, probably Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, but what about Paul? Wasn't he a Pharisee? He used to be a Pharisee. Now think about this. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. How many of you have separated Paul from that event and thought, Paul wasn't there? You sure? What side was Paul on? He hung out with Gamaliel. He was his top student. I'm not sure Paul wasn't present. He just wasn't a player. 
But he was a Pharisee, right? A, a member of that group of those people. So they're, they're all in this place trying to decide whether or not you had to be circumcised to be saved. Whether or not you had to do something in order to, be, to, to walk in salvation. And here is what they decide. So when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up. You remember Peter. Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. You remember the story, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, Peter on top of his roof. You know, he's in a, he's in a bit of a trance. He's hungry. Sheet comes down from heaven with all these unclean animals on it. And the Lord says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, you know, I've never eaten any of those things. I won't let that stuff touch my mouth. So the Lord had to do it again. She comes down again. Peter, arise, kill, and eat. No, Lord. Now listen, anytime you're saying those two words together, there's a problem. No, Lord doesn't go together. Not so, Lord. Three times it came down. And then the Lord said, there are men coming to your door. When they knock on your door, go with them. And then we see this Gentile guy, Cornelius, had sent men to Peter. An angel told him to call for Peter. They go. Peter hears the knock on the door, goes down, goes with them, goes into their house, begins to minister, teach them uh, the, the gospel. And before he finishes a message, before he gets to the part where he asks them to ask Jesus into their heart, before he gets to any of that stuff, they're already saved, already filled with the Holy Spirit, and speaking in tongues. And Peter's a little blown away because that kind of broke all the rules. Hey, wait a minute. We haven't done all this stuff. We haven't, uh, you haven't gone through catechism. You haven't had any classes yet. How can the Holy Spirit fall upon you? We have rules. We have rules. But what the scripture teaches, the Holy Spirit is a seal of salvation. So when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it said to Peter, they're saved. They're not baptized yet, but they're saved. They're, they're not circumcised, but they're saved. So Peter in this group, he stands up and says, do you guys remember that event when these guys got saved and, and we saw the Holy Spirit come upon them? Hey, I didn't even do the altar call. They were already saved. They were already saved. Why? Because they believed. In their heart, they believed. They knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they went on to confess Him through baptism. And they went on to do some of those other things within the church. But those things didn't save them. What saved them was their faith. That's what Peter says in Acts 15. He says, So God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And made no distinction between us and them. Purifying their hearts by faith. Sola fide. Faith alone saves faith alone saves so now therefore why do you test god by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear you're trying to add works into the equation and we know that the law teaches us anything it teaches us we're not able to perform to the level that god wants us to perform at you know that level right leviticus tells us be perfect God said, as I am perfect. If you break one part of the law, what are you guilty of? All. So 
We know that what the law came to do was what? Show us our need for a Savior. Praise God, that's Jesus Christ. So by faith in Him, I put on His righteousness. I become right with God simply because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's all it takes. That's all that's necessary. Well, listen, he goes on. But we believe, in verse 11 of Acts 15, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, look what he says, we will be saved in the same manner as they. Peter's saying to them, listen guys, we are saved the same way they are, by faith. Not because we're circumcised, not because we keep these other rituals, not because we have the law, not because we're God's favorite. We are saved just like they are, by faith faith alone by putting our faith and trust in jesus christ so peter he's the first one to speak so peter has spoken then all the multitude kept silent everybody got quiet and listened to barnabas and paul declaring how many miracles and wonders god had worked through them among the gentiles and who'd he bring with them (coughs) excuse me galatians chapter one told us remember titus what was titus a gentile Exhibit A, let me show you Titus. Filled with the Holy Spirit, with knowledge of God, understanding Him. Can anyone doubt His salvation yet? He's not circumcised. He hasn't kept any of the rituals. He hasn't done all these other things. So we look at Him and we can see, we can recognize His salvation is there. Therefore, man is saved by faith alone. Well, as they share this, it says, And after they had become silent, James answered. Now, James is the man. Okay, first off, James is a man. James is the James who wrote the book of James. James is the brother of Jesus. James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So he's all those things. He has, he didn't believe prior to the resurrection, but after Jesus rose, his brother believed in him, his brothers, but James, his brother, believed in him, and they, and he followed him, and he is the rock, he is the pillar, he's the one everybody looks to. In the church of Jerusalem, he holds that seat. It's interesting because most or there there are a few churches that would teach that Peter was the first pope. We don't really see an example of of a, a papal supremacy anywhere in Scripture. But what you do see is James being at the top. Peter fulfilled the ministry God had called him to truly. But here we see James in that place. James is is the guy. He's the guy everybody's looking to. Look what he says. And with, and with this, oh, let me back up. Uh, and after that, James said, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take them out of a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Now, this is out of the book of Amos. We won't get too crazy into it, but listen, just as it is written, after this, I will return. What does it require for you to return somewhere? means that you've been there once already, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be returning. You'd go for the first time. This is God speaking. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. So that, why? So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. This is Old Testament, folks. 
The Gentiles were going to be called. That the Gentiles were going to be saved. That Jesus Christ was going to do a work. And whose work was it? Look at the last part. Says the Lord, who does all these things? What did we do to accomplish that? Nothing. Who did it all? The Lord who does all these things. He did it all. Everything. So here we have James speaking, the writer of the book of James. He says, Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble these from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not trouble them. That it is faith alone through grace alone that brings salvation. So James, Paul, and Peter at the council of Jerusalem all agree. Now, when we read the book of James, or when we read Peter, or when we read Paul, we have to go back to Acts chapter 15 and say, what happened in Acts 15? They all agree. So when I read James, and James saying, faith without works is dead, I have to read it in light of what the Scripture already tells me, that they all agree, that we're saved by faith alone, but the fruit of our faith comes through what we do with our faith. What we do with what God has given us. So as we take a look at what he says now in verse 20, James says this, But we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and sexual immorality. By the way, those two commandments are given to everyone. Both of those things are sin. It's sin. It is sin to to worship an idol, right? You shall have no other God before me. That's what the Lord said, isn't it? Sexual immorality, that's sin. Why did James list these two? He listed these two because these are areas that are problems for Gentiles. That's something that was a part of their life. So James is saying, guys, be careful because these things are a snare to you. What's James's worry? That you're going to come by faith alone and grace alone for salvation and deceive yourself that you can live the same way you've always lived. Because... Being saved means I'm a new creation, created in Christ Jesus, for good works that God has ordained for me that I should walk in them. That's what the scripture declares. The works didn't save me. They still don't. What saved me was faith alone. How do I know my faith alone was real and vibrant and true? Because I'm not who I once was. Can't we thank God that we're not who we once were? Now, we may be on varying roads from that place, folks. It's not saying, listen, you cannot tell a prodigal son from a prodigal pig. You can't. How can you tell the difference? The, 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 other, the, the story goes like this. Uh, Dr. McGee tells it. He says, when the prodigal son came back, he brought a pig with him. And while the pig was with him, he looked just like the prodigal son. And the prodigal son was welcomed back into the family. And the father loved him. And he was received back into the family, even though he had lived as a pig. But the reality is, the heart of that man was always a son. But the heart of the pig was always a pig. And sooner or later, where did the pig go? Right back to the pig pen. Now, can you tell that he's a pig? No. Why? Because the prodigal son went back to the the pig pen too. How do you know it's a son or a pig? You don't know. Who knows? God knows. Who sees the heart? Who knows the heart? So what's the warning for us? Stay out of the pig pen. 
Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Fruit coming from the root of faith. So if I am grafted in to he who is the the branch, the tree, the vine, if I am grafted into that tree, all I got to do is stay there and fruit will happen. That's all I got to do. Stay abiding in Christ. But the danger, folks, is the danger will always be when I say, "Ah, this is good enough. This is as far as I want to go. Will I bear fruit? Do I have salvific faith? Do I have true faith? Or is it me deceiving myself? I leave myself in that, in that gray area. There's no reason to be in a gray area. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, turn your back on the world and walk with Him and be with Him and stay with Him and be as close to Him as you can be. And if Jesus is there, be there. And if Jesus isn't there, why do you want to go? Because He who is life, that's where we want to be. We want to stand with Him. We want to be with Him. He gave Him two commandments. To not uh, worship idols and to stay away from sexual immorality. And then he gave two concessions. He asked them to stay away from things strangled and from blood. That's two other things Gentiles did. They ate whatever they wanted to eat. And so he asked them as a concession for your Jewish brothers. Because if you keep doing this, you're going to cause a division. And the Jews will sit on this side of the church and the Gentiles will sit on that side of the church. But Jesus came and He birthed something new. Something that's not Jew or Gentile. When Adam came in Genesis and and God caused a deep sleep to come upon him, what was it that God brought out of His side? A bride, right? Took a rib from Adam and fashioned that rib into woman. What did Jesus birth from his side? What came from his side? Blood and water. What's that? The fluids of birth. What did he birth? A bride. Just like the first Adam. What bride did he give birth to? The church. And who is the church? The church is full of people who used to be something else, but now are the church. No Jews, no Gentiles, no former bikers, no ex-gay people, no ex-sexually immoral people, no, no former comedians, nothing. It's just the church. People saved by grace, through faith, not of works, that have come to Jesus Christ and been changed. And now I am not what I once was. But praise God, I'm not finished yet. And just in case, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble. But nobody here is finished yet. What? Yep, sorry. (laughs) Nobody here is finished. We've got further to go. So listen, that's what we want to we want to realize. I want to progress. I want to progress. How do I progress? Guys, listen, please get this. It's not about a, a list of do's and don'ts. You progress by abiding in Christ. Okay? For the Jewish people, how did that work out practically in the Old Testament? This is how it worked out. When when the cloud or the pillar, which was the presence of God, moved, where did they go? They followed it. Wherever it went, they went. Wherever Jesus was, they were there. However many times Jesus moved, they moved with Him. What He did, they did. Where He led, they followed. That's what it is to give our lives to Jesus Christ. I want to be where Jesus is. And praise God, the good news is, wherever two or three are gathered, what? There He is in their midst. So come October 14th, Jesus is going hunting with the guys. 
But ladies, don't be disappointed because on Thursday night next week when you have your women's connection, he's going to be there too. And if the guys met at the exact same time, he'd be with them. He'll be anywhere, everywhere, all over the world, wherever, wherever his people gather together. And when we gather with the brethren, we are abiding in the vine and we bear fruit. And that's the key. That's got to be, the, that's the answer to what do we do now? How do we, how do we do this? So this is what, this is what <laughs> Paul is alluding to. We have made it all the way through verse one. I'm pretty proud of us. This is what Paul is alluding to in Galatians chapter two, verse one, that whole section, 14 years later, this is what he's talking about. I went to Jerusalem with Barnabas and I took Titus with me and I went up by revelation. Why did Paul go? Because God told him to go. Where are we supposed to go? Where God calls us to go. Where God directs, that's where we want to be. We want to be walking in the will of God, abiding in Christ, right? Where God is, that's where we want to be. And communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. He, that means he met with the apostles privately. He sat down with Peter, Paul, James, all those guys. He said, hey guys, here's what I'm about. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm dealing with. Are we all on the same page? And praise God, even though they didn't go to the same school, they agreed. They all agreed. I was blown away once when I was... Younger, you know, I thought I could never have a, 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 a thought that someone else didn't put in my head. And I guess that's actually true. Because of, hopefully it's the Lord that, that puts those thoughts into our head. But, but I remember one time going through the scripture and I, and I studied and I prepared and I taught this message. And I, and I thought it was okay. You know, I thought I did all right. And then later on, I was listening to... To John Corson CD and he said some of the same stuff I did and I was like wow look at there I was like I'm 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 I'm, I'm like that guy's almost Pope of Calvary Chapel anyway that guy's like wow he's way up there you know and and I said something he said and I said it and and why did I say it because the same God that I worship he worships the same God that speaks in me speaks in him you see, God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter of a person's reputation or who they are or what they've done. What matters is if you're surrendered to the Lord, God will use you and speak through you. And God will anoint you to, to bring forth the word that God's given. And so they met with these men of reputation, but they were all on the same page. They all believed the same thing. You understand. So when we go through the scriptures and people will come to your door and bang on your door and bring out James and say, look, the Bible says you have to do works to be saved. You can say, no, Acts chapter 15, all those guys agreed, faith alone saves through grace. Grace alone by faith alone brings salvation. That's it. So you're bringing the word of God out of context. You've got to keep it in that context. The day agreed. And then we see the fruitfulness of faith. Now, as we go forward, he says, yet... <clears throat> yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. They didn't make him get circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren, not real, false brethren, secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. What liberty was they... See, sometimes, folks, when we read liberty, we think we associate liberty with, with partying, and that's not the association. 
Liberty, when he's talking about he came to spy out our liberty, it means when you, you guys don't have special classes for your people. You, you guys haven't made your people go through these things. You haven't made them go through these rituals. That's the liberty he's talking about. They were just having a good time together. They were just growing in Jesus Christ, sitting around, reading the Bible. Don't you remember how it was in the beginning? When you got saved and you're hanging out with your friends and you're sitting around and the Bible's blowing you away and and aspects of the Word of God are coming alive and you're just stoked to be wherever He was. It wasn't a drudgery. It wasn't a Sunday morning. Who's playing this morning? Uh, Steelers are on. I'm not going to church. (laughs) It's opening day of, of deer season. If I could come to church, they could come to church too. Listen, the, the whole thing is sometimes we allow the reality, the truth, the vibrancy of our faith to get all weighted down like it's a drudgery. It should never be a drudgery. It isn't. It shouldn't be that. If it's that, we have made it that. We have made it that because as the book of Revelation lays out for us in chapter 2, the church of Ephesus, what was their problem? They had left their first love. What did he tell them to do? Remember from where you have fallen, repent, change your direction, and do the things you were doing when you first got saved. Don't you remember? Don't you remember the excitement? Don't you remember how often you wanted to go be with the brethren, the things you wanted to do, the things that were burning in your heart? When that flame begins to extinguish, it means we've left our first love. We need that. We need that vibrancy that is found in Christ. So these false brethren, they came in to spy all that out. Hey, they're not doing all these things. Why aren't they doing all these things? They need to do all these other things. Man, we don't need anything but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Their goal was what? To bring them into bondage. Folks, what does religion mean? The word religion means to bind up. That's why people get burnt out at religion. Because religion binds up with what? Rules, regulations, do this, don't do that. This is how you do this, this is how you do that. If you do all these things, then you will be righteous. Really. What that is, is works of the law. And what the works of the law teach us is that we fall short. That no matter how many signs you put up saying don't bring food into the sanctuary, someone will bring it in. And when they do, they'll drop some. And when they drop it, they'll step on it and go on the carpet and they'll feel bad. Does it have anything to do with salvation? No. Huh. Hey, I'm more than happy to tear out the carpet. We just be in here on concrete. Then you have to worry about it. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about religion to bind up. It's about relationship to free up. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He releases us from those bounds and, and then just tells us, abide in me. You stick close to me. Everything's going to be okay. That's what he wants us to understand. That's what he wants us to apply. So he says in uh, in verse 5, To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Listen, we didn't even give him the time of day. We're not listening to that stuff. That stuff ain't real. It ain't true. But from those who seem to be something, now he's talking about Peter, James, John, and, and the other disciples. For those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. For God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. That means they didn't change the message. They agreed. 
And Paul says, I'm not going to be a respecter of persons. I'm not going to be all blown away because these guys, you know, they, they gave me some time and they're the big wigs. Paul's like, Does, God's not a respecter of person or parsons. God's a respecter of no man, rich, poor. Guess what? None of us can touch the stars. Not one. We all fall short. Every single one of us. And that's what Paul's saying. They can add nothing to the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Faith alone is what saves. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was for Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship uh, to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. What did they decide? They decided, hey guys, we're called in two different directions. Did they change the message? Same message. Saved by grace through faith alone. Faith alone. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What happened? Well, Peter and James and John, they went to the Jews. And Paul and Barnabas, they went to the Gentiles. Same message, going about doing the work of God. Going about doing what God had called them to do. It was not some big ruckus, some big fight. They all recognized, you've been gifted, Paul, to go speak to the Gentiles. So go. Does that mean he won't talk to Jews? No, Paul talked to whoever God puts in front of him. And then they say, you know, Peter and, and James and John, you've been gifted to go to Jews. Does that mean they don't talk to Gentiles? No, they'll talk to whoever God gives them, but they have a sphere of influence. Their ministry is to the Jew. Their ministry is to the Gentile. So they head two different directions. So Paul's point in Galatians chapter 1, 1 through 9 is to say, the message that I preach is approved of by all the apostles. We are all saying the same thing, that you are saved by grace through faith alone. We're all on the same page together. They desired only that we should remember the poor, that very thing which I was willing to do. Oh, they put something interesting in there. I'm actually very happy that they put put that in there. This is why I'm happy they put that in there. Because they said, hey, don't forget to do something. You're saved by grace through faith alone. But don't forget the poor. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. In the book of Ezekiel. They had fullness of food, idleness of time, and they did not care about the poor. Most people thought it was homosexuality. That was an outpouring of their having left a relationship with God, serving the Lord. But it started with fullness of food, idleness of time, and they didn't care about the poor. So here James says, don't forget about the poor. Don't forget to to do something. Don't forget to take the gift that you've been given by God. And use it. Use it to affect your sphere of influence. For Paul, it was the Gentiles. For for Peter and James and John, it was the Jews. What's it for you? Your, Your place of work. There's a circle of friends that you have in your life I may never see. You have a sphere of influence. An opportunity to bring forth fruit 
Now, can you just work it up in you? Oh, I'm just going to do it. No, that's a work of the flesh. By work of the flesh, no man can please God. How do we do it? We abide in Christ. We ask the Lord to give us the words and the time, and we stay in that place until he cuts us loose. How long was it for Paul? From salvation to great fruitfulness. About 14 years. You see, it's a journey. He's still saved here. When he was still blind and he hadn't done anything yet. But the fruitfulness came from abiding in Christ. He ran the race that was set before him. He kept the faith. He fought the good fight. He accomplished what God had put in his life. He wholly followed after God. As did James and John, the other disciples. Can you add your name to that list? Are you able to say, I am going to wholly follow God? And realize it's not about a list of things I have to do to wholly follow after God. It's all about abiding in Him. Where Jesus is, I am there. If He's there, I'm there. If if we're gathered together with the the brethren, Jesus is a part of that. Looking for all those opportunities to be where Jesus is. And listen, you know as well as I do, there are some places I walk in and I know Jesus ain't here. He's not here. And I can tell myself, oh, what's a big deal? I'm just being too uptight. I'm free in Christ. I'm not under the law. Yeah, but you're not under stupidity either. <laughs> One time I started doing body work. It didn't last very long. <laughs> not this kind of body work. It's a different kind. <clears throat> I was working on a car, you know, and this guy's hammering on a car and he's taking this dent out. And he's taking a dent out, and he'd hammer a few times. He'd stick his hand up there and feel it. And he'd hammer a few times, stick his hand up there and feel it. He was hammering a couple of times, and I put my hand up there and feel it. And he hit me. He hit me with the hammer. And he said, are you stupid? Sometimes. <laughs> Why do you put your hand in there? Don't you see I'm hammering that? Why do we put ourselves some places we know we're going to get hammered? Why do we do it? I got a problem with, with uh, drinking and drugs. I probably should not hang out at the bar. I should probably, when I go, if I got a problem with drinking and I go somewhere and, and these people don't have a problem with drinking, I should say, that's not a place for me. I can't be there. So if you say, hey, come, and, but you do this, you're saying, I don't want you to come, though. Now, I'm not trying to put a heavy on anybody else, but you got to, people got to stop being stupid. I knew a family that I ministered to for several years. Father, mother, brothers, youngest brother's an alcoholic. He is having a terrible time, but every time the family gets together, they all drink. Like, what are you guys doing to him? Okay, he has a problem with alcohol. What do you say you guys just uh, help him out and get rid of it? Don't use your Christian liberty to cause a brother to stumble, fall. Reach out in love. Where Jesus is, that's where I want to be. Where Jesus is being ministered, that's where I want to go. When it's about him, that's what I want to be about. That's what it is to wholly follow him. That's what it is to abide in Christ. And that's how we bear forth fruit. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this book, Father God, and we thank you for the truth of your word, which is always true and never false. God, may we just so completely make your word that which guides our life, that we would walk in truth, that we would be led by the Spirit. Father, that we would wholly follow after you. That is our desire. Wholly follow after you. That we wouldn't add a bunch of junk to anything, but that we would realize, I'm saved because I believe. But I know I believe because of fruit I see in my life. I am not who I was. Lord God, may no man or woman in this place be deceiving themselves. But Father, may they come honestly and completely uh, with an open heart to you, God, who desires to touch their life, to change their life. If we, like those other guys, like Reuben and Gad, have come to a place and we said, this is as far as I want to go with God. I don't want to go to that other stuff. I just want, this is all I want of you. God, help us repent of that. And cross over the Jordan River. Help us say, I want whatever you have for me. Whatever that is. I want the abundant life. Man, I, don't, I, don't wanna, I don't want a life of regrets where I say, what well, could have been. I don't want any of that. I want the truth of what happens when we abide in Christ. We abide in Christ, we experience abundant life. Abundant life. I'm finally... Doing what God has called me to do. Lord God, may that be the desire of every one of our hearts. I'm doing what God has called me to do. If we are, are just going through the motions in our relationship with you, God, we're, we, we, we are in religion and we're not in relationship. We're in a religion. We're just trying to do the things we're supposed to do to be good people. But none of us are good. No, not one. The scripture declares we're all sinners. We've all broken the law. We all fall short. We need a relationship with your son. We need to receive the free gift that he is extending toward us. And when we by faith believe, you change us from the inside out. Let no man or woman in this place deceive themselves. May they come honestly before you, God. Take off the mask of religion that says, I'm okay. I'm good. Take that off and cast it away and say, Lord, this is me. I come before you with a basket of of a life that all the pieces don't fit. They don't all make sense to me. I don't know why I went through this or that. Why these events in my life ever occurred. I don't understand my life. May I bring that basket to you because you are he who makes beauty out of ashes who gives the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness you establish us that we might be mighty trees for God not blown around by every wind of doctrine but founded in the rock which is Jesus Christ Lord God do your perfect work among this body. God, we pray for revival. We pray for hearts broken before you. We pray for for people that would lay their soul bare to you and say, God, this is a mess and I need you to fix it. 
And that we would come to you in that place, in that place of brokenness, that we would draw near unto you, Father, and that you would do an incredible work, an incredible revival would begin springing forth, even here in this place, as God's people repent, cross over the Jordan River, and possess the land. Father, anoint this place and this time as we seek you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite the prayer.